0: Uh, quote from, from Leonard Ravenhill and then I'm going to jump into this verse, it's one of my life verses, 2 Chronicles 7.14, you can go ahead and actually throw that up on the screen this quote from Leonard Ravenhill, just because people want to know what does revival mean and it's not the three days of preaching at the Baptist church that you see on the marquee outside the, the church you drive by You know? that's not revival um, you can't schedule revival, you can't organize revival <laughs> Okay, revival is an activity of the Spirit of God. The very word revive, though, it, it implies that there was life at one time. You can only revive that which already has vitality. But that life, it becomes sick, weak, apathetic. And this man, Leonard Ravenhill, he's, he wrote a book, Why Revival Terrys. He's an amazing uh, historical revivalist. He said, I think the nearest analogy I can give is a recent case of a man who apparently drowned. He'd been underwater for an incredible amount of time, and somebody pulled him out and worked on him and worked on him, and eventually life came into him again. This is what it means to revive. It means to revitalize. It means to restore lost power. It means to recover lost energy. If you're showing up here tonight, and we're sharing with you guys about revival, and you go, man, I feel like I love Jesus more in a previous season of my life than I do today, you're in need of revival. If you'd say, I feel like my life pales in comparison to the biblical examples Of strength and power and wisdom. And I recognize I haven't yet touched what I long for in God. You're in need of revival. If you need greater vitality and hunger and desire for God. You need him to awaken something inside you. You're in need of revival. And the word word of God thankfully is not silent on this very important topic. It gives us a lot of insights. And I just want to share with you guys just a brief testimony, 2006, nearly 10 years ago. It's actually, uh, I have the backpack with me from, from the summer camp that I worked at. It was a Sky Ranch Camps. You can see it right there on the front of this, in front of my backpack. And, um, and they gave these backpacks to all the camp counselors, and it's this camp out in Texas. And I went to work there for 10 weeks and I had had such an, I'd gotten saved in 2005, and it was my first year in God, and I experienced so many amazing things. I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit and begun to see miracles happen when I pray for people and had visions and dreams from God, things I didn't even know were possible, and God was speaking to my heart, and I was hungry for more. And then someone began to tell me stories about revival, and there was a stirring in my heart, and I said, God, I want more than, I, I want more than even what I've tasted already, and I went into this camp with a vision for revival and I had a mentor I was talking to him about what was stirring in my heart I said I want to go to this camp and I want to see revival happen God's moving my heart he's talking to me about revival and he told me this very important story that I'm going to tell to you guys today he said there was an old revivalist an intercessor one of these great historical moves of God and they long for revival and so what they did is they went inside their prayer room they drew a chalk circle right in the middle of that room. I have a gaff tape circle up here. I don't know if you can see it, but they went inside their prayer room. They drew a circle and they made a determination in their heart. They said, God, I want revival so bad, but I know revival has to start right here and it starts with me right here in this room. They said, God, I, I want revival to happen out there, but I know revival can't happen out there. If it doesn't first happen here, and they begin to cry out, God, revive my life. Not them out there, but me in here, right here. And I'm not leaving this circle till there's a breakthrough of faith in my heart for a move of God in my life and in in those that I long to seek the Spirit of God touch. And as the story goes, that revivalist, that revivalist intercessor got that breakthrough. And my challenge to you guys tonight is I want us to ask God to mark us in that same way. And in that summer of 2006, in my heart and in my mind, I drew a circle around myself and I said, I don't care whether other people think it's foolish. I don't care whether it touches them or not. I know revival has to start here in my life first and foremost. And I discovered this verse, the verse I'm going to share on with my remaining eight minutes. I got this, guys. Do not be afeared. 2 <laughs> Chronicles 7.14, I discovered this verse, and I actually wrote it on my backpack to remind myself every day that this is what I wanted to live by. You see, it's kind of in orange right there on the lip. 2 Chronicles 7.14, wrote it right, right there. See that? Nine years ago, this backpack's held up pretty good. It's like a good ad for Jansport right there. So I wrote in orange Sharpie, Second Chronicles 714 on my backpack. You're like, how can this guy be so intense and so goofy? It's like so hard to follow him. Um, <laughs> it's just me, guys. It's just me. All right, so I wrote Second Chronicles 714 on my backpack to remind me every day that this is what I wanted to live by. And let's look at what the verse says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then God says he will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their lands. You guys can put your notes away for future reference. I'm not gonna follow them in the last few minutes that I have, but that's there for you to study. And what's amazing is as I was preparing for this message, I discovered that what was present in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen is what they did in the book of Acts, in Acts 1 through 5. And see, in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, follow this with me. It's all there in your notes. You can look at them if you want to. But, but there's, there's four conditions and three promises. Three, four things that God says you must do. And three things he says, if you do these four, then I will do these three. Okay? The first... Condition, He says, if my people who are called by my name, right? That means us, guys. That means he's not talking to the fallen world. He's not, he hasn't given responsibility or authority to people that don't believe in him. He's given responsibility to us. Point to someone and say he's given responsibility to you. Oh, now don't go telling your brother that. Point at yourself now, sister, brother. He's given responsibility to you, to me, and to you, to us. Because we're his people and we're called by his name. Why is that important? Because we need to know where the responsibility and the authority lies. If there's absence of revival in the culture, it's not on the culture because they're wicked, it's on the church because we're prayerless. Okay, He says, if my people, so the power doesn't rest with anybody else but those in this room, and more specifically, woo, you, you. Because I promise you, if you live revived, it'll touch the entire environment you're in. And I learned that in 2006. I really learned that it was possible. By the grace of God, I made that commitment to revival. And I started to get up early every morning and pray. And as I would get up early and pray, I don't even know how I did it. I was going on five hours of sleep every night. And we were were driving go-karts and riding jet skis and doing the blob and doing all the stuff you do at summer camp and doing Bible studies and devotions. And I mean, I would go to 11 o'clock at night. I'd pass out in my bed, but I would get up 530 in the morning and I would get up and I would pray for an hour before the kids got up and I would meet with this other counselor that had a hunger for revival. We'd get on our knees and we would cry out to God. And you know what began to happen? As I cried out to him, he began to answer. And I would just know supernaturally what day on each day. I had about one cabin for one week and I would know what day to talk to what kid to lead him to the Lord. And I probably led 50 kids to the Lord through one-on-one meetings in that summer and at the end of that summer, they did, they did a little award thing where they, they picked the person that most influenced them over the summer of all the counselors. There were about 300 counselors at this camp. This huge camp. Thousands of kids came every week. And, um, and I say this not to toot my own horn, but as a testimony that when I resolved in my heart to do that, it did create impact. When I resolved to start with myself, and of the hundreds of counselors that were there, they voted me as the single most spiritually influential person of all the counselors, Now, that wasn't me. That was the grace of God through me. But I tell you, if you pray and you preach and you proclaim and you seek to live revived, God will not disappoint you and others will see. And I wasn't doing it because, hey, I want to get noticed. I was doing it because I wanted to live obtaining and possessing more of God. And guys, if you will, uh, uh, John Wesley has this great quote. He says, if you'll go out and set yourself on fire, others will come and watch you burn. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Some of us just need to to forget what our, forget how it would impact our family, forget what our friends would think, forget who thinks, I just need to get on fire for Jesus. How are you gonna do it? We've given you a pretty good prescription, a good starting place. It's not complicated, we just need hunger in our hearts. If my people who are called by my name, now the second point's pretty important, will humble themselves. So you say, oh yeah, revival rests with me, but we don't stick our chests out, we fall on our knees and say, if revival starts with me, God help me. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the more we humble ourselves, there's this great song by a musician named Laura Hackett, she goes, the river rushes to the lowest place, the river it rushes to the lowest place. What that means is the presence of God flows to those who are in the place of greatest humility. What does that mean? It's just the constant recognition, not lip service, Even tonight, man, I spent time in prayer and it's like it's so easy to rest on your preaching gift or your worship gift or, you know, whatever ways in which you're gifted, maybe you're gifted with children. And instead of resting in my gift, I was going, God, I want you to speak because what needs to happen tonight, I cannot do out of my own natural gifting. I need you, Lord. I depend on you, Lord. And I have to remind and refresh that place because human pride resists that dependence. But blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you want more of the kingdom of heaven, you have to empty yourself of yourself to be filled with more of God. If my people will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, that's intimacy and intercession. We need both devotion and we need fervent crying out for breakthrough. And those two things cannot be separated from one another. We See, the face of a person... See my beautiful face? The face of a person, it conveys the emotion that they're communicating. When we seek the face of God, it's in his face that we see what's in his heart, right? And as we pursue a revelation of his love, his smile, his affection, we go, God, show me again your love. We're seeking his face, right? But then from the place of going, thank you so much, God, you love me. Oh, God, I want those who don't know this love to know the love you have, Lord. We go from intimacy to intercession and we're effective intercession because we understand how God feels and how he thinks. Amen. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. See, holiness is a requirement, is a requirement. God says he does not regard the prayer that's offered in iniquity. And in James five, he says, Elijah was a man just like every one of us. Right. He says he speaks of Elijah. Elijah was the most revered prophet of the Old Testament. He goes, the the greatest man of the entire Old Testament, the greatest prophet among prophets. He goes, he was a dude just like you. He put his pants on one leg at a time. He messed up. He was weak. But guess what? When he prayed, God heard him. And the prayers of a righteous man, they avail much. So even though we're weak, and broken, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to make our prayers powerful before the throne of God. We don't live practicing sin, we live repenting of sin, turning away from sin, pursuing and hungry and thirsting after righteousness. And when we have experiential righteousness in our lives, God promises He will hear us. And we'll pray and the heavens will open, that's the verse in James 5 says, Elijah prayed and the heavens were opened and rain was poured out. And so often rain is a metaphor for revival. Where the righteous Elijahs who again will cry forth for the heavens to be rent and for the rains to pour out? Because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from wickedness. So what's the three things God promises to do? He says, I'll hear, I'll forgive and I'll heal. I'll hear, I'll forgive, and I'll heal. We, God's people, we need to humble ourselves. We need to pray and seek the face of God. We need to turn from places of compromise, things Jesus died to set us free from, self-hatred, lust, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Jesus nailed himself to a cross so you could be free from that, to cleanse you of every wicked thing. He died so you could be set free and he wants you to be free. He wants you to turn from wickedness. I love that expression to turn because it implies you're going this way in wickedness and you turn around, you go the opposite way. Some of us, it's not just stop in your tracks, not just stop, but it's turn. You need to turn, you need to go the opposite direction. And God promises if we will do that, if we live that way, not just one time, but as a lifestyle. Then he says, I'll hear you, which means I'll actually listen to what you say and I'll do what you ask. I'll forgive you. And see, that's a there's a promise there of personal. Cleansing so much, our lack of spiritual vitality comes because we're persisting in sin and we have the weight of sin and guilt and shame and feeling not good enough and it chokes out our life in God. But you can be assured, guys, that if you are praying and seeking the face of God and repenting, he's going to forgive you and cleanse you of those things that are holding you back from him. And he will reinvigorate your spiritual vitality. And the last one is he promises he will heal you. And from that place of being forgiven on the inside, there's a manifestation of his healing power. I like to think of it this way. It's not just that he fixes the negative, right? Which forgiveness is fixing the negative. But he actually empowers you to do the positive healing is transformation in every sphere of society healing is healing for people's physical bodies healing is wholeness in our families healing is transformation in our education and in our government the healing of a land is this imagine a barren landscape it's the picture of a spirituality of a nation it's where we are right now in america where things that are totally inappropriate and disgusting people say that's good We are the number one exporter in the world of pornography. We have a billion dollar pornography industry. Pornography is a greater industry, makes more money than all professional sports combined. And it's because some of us in the past, myself included, have persisted in fueling that perverse industry. And we look at that and that is the spiritual barren landscape of a nation. But God says, if men and women of righteousness will turn away and break agreement with that and begin to cry out to the God of heaven, He'll send rain on the land. He'll he'll listen to us, forgive our sin, and send the rains again. And what happens when God sends the rains of His presence? That dry, barren land begins to bear forth fruit again. And I see a situation that looks much like the land of Israel did after three years of drought. Three years of drought. Can you imagine no rain falling on our city for three years? Everything would be brown and dead. And I believe there's a drought in the spirit over our nation. But God is looking for a generation that will lift up their voice in prayer and in intercession. And with a desire for righteousness. And they will call out to the God of heaven and rend the heavens that the rains would come again. And that that dry ground, can you imagine when Elijah prayed and the rains finally began to come? How did the landscape change in a matter of weeks? That which was dead came alive again. Hallelujah. I challenge you guys. I've only been able to give the briefest snippet tonight of this verse but to take this verse, break it down like I just broke it down, begin to pray it over your life, begin to pray it over your family, begin to study it in your devotional time, write it on your backpack if you want to. But don't just stop there. Let the truth of this verse transform your life so that you're actually a catalyst for transformation. And I'm believing, guys, I'm preaching this because I'm believing, just like I experienced when I was 21 years old. Who in here is 21? Like when I was 21 years old, guys, I was your age, okay, that I could actually impact hundreds of people. You guys could actually impact hundreds of people in your sphere with your passionate pursuit of God. And it didn't take me six years to get there. God, by his grace, I got there in three months. Okay? It's the reviving work of the Spirit of God.